you are staying in here, I'll invite you to go ahead and turn uh, to the book of Galatians. We're currently preaching through the book of Galatians in a series titled No Other Gospel. And so today we're going to answer the question, how, how does one get saved? How is it that one goes from sinner to, to saint? How is it we go from, from guilty to justified and righteous? Now, I don't think it's hard for most of us, whether we're, we're believers or unbelievers, so in the church or outside the church, to agree that no one's perfect. I think, I think it's pretty easy for us to, to have a conversation with people from about any walk of life and go, yeah, we're not perfect, we, we have faults, everyone has faults. Often, I think we, we determine how bad we are by how we measure up to others. We kind of look around at others and are we, are we doing better than them? Are we doing worse than them? So we might maximize or, or minimize our sin based upon who we are surrounded by. Um, we often will say things like, I, I'm not as bad as that person. Have you ever thought that? No, never. But the problem is, is, is our righteousness is, is not determined by, by a human court made up of our peers, but we're told in Scripture that we must stand before God, that He's the one who determines whether we are righteous or whether we are guilty, whether we have eternal life with Him and all the, the joy and the blessing that goes into that, or eternal life apart from Him and the eternal punishment that is experienced in that. And God does not judge us based upon how we measure up to others. The righteousness of God is the standard, not you and I. And so according to Scripture, when we look at God and, and we understand that he's righteous, but he's not partly righteous or kind of righteous, we're told that he's infinitely righteous, that his perfections are limitless. In fact, in Psalm 97.2, we're told that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalm 145, verse 17 says, everything that God does is righteous. Now, this is key. God doesn't merely act righteous, but he is righteous, and therefore he does what is righteous. Does that make sense? Like, he doesn't act righteous and is sometimes righteous, but he is righteous, so everything that he does at all times is perfectly right. Psalm 9, 8, we're told that one day he will come and he will judge the world in righteousness. And so what we have in Scripture is we have this almighty, all-powerful, holy, infinitely perfect God. And we're told that he will, will come to earth and he will bring judgment against all, all of sin and all of humanity that has rebelled against him. And you might say, well, what will that look like? And so when we come into the Old Testament, uh, especially the prophets, they often will use imagery to describe things that God is or describe how God is or what he will do. And so like the prophet Nahum, which I'm sure we've all been reading Nahum in the Old Testament lately, your homework is to read Nahum. It's an amazing, amazing book. But in chapter one, he describes what it looks like for God in his infinite might power and righteousness to come to earth and bring judgment. And so this is what he says, chapter one, verse five and six. It says, the mountains quake before him. 
The hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. So we have this picture of God's infinite greatness and might and power and holiness. And in his righteousness, he comes to earth and creation itself melts, breaks, and gives way before him. And then he says, who can stand before this God? If that's the picture of God's might, of his holiness, of his anger towards sin, then what chance do you and I have knowing that we have faults, knowing we are not perfect, knowing we have sinned against him? So, so the question is, if we know that we deserve wrath, how can we be justified? Where, where is there hope for us? How can we be forgiven? How can we go from guilty to righteous? Is there hope for humanity? And that's what our text answers this morning. That is what the gospel is about. Gospel means good news. There is good news for us. And so today we're going to be coming face to face with the doctrine of justification. And this doctrine tells us how we go from sinner to saint, how we go from guilty to righteous. This is certainly one of the most important doctrines that we have in God's word. In fact, John Calvin would say the justification is the main hinge which all of religion turns. Martin Luther said justification is the first and chief article of Christian theology. And we could go on and on looking at quotes throughout church history, through God's word itself on the importance of this doctrine. But here's the main thing we need to see this morning. The only means in which we are declared righteous before God is through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way we are saved is through faith in Christ. So that's what we're going to look at today. Now, before we dig into our text, let me give a quick recap. If you're, this is your first day here, let me just tell you how we got to where we're at in Galatians. Um, the, uh, Paul has planted the church of Galatia. They've been growing in their knowledge of the gospel, and yet false teachers have come, Judaizers have come, those who are um, zealous for keeping the Old Testament laws like, like circumcision, purification laws like that have come to Galatia and they've begun to teach a works-based gospel. Now they have said things like you are not saved by grace alone and Christ alone. Rather, you need to do good works also. Now it's important. They're not denying Jesus. They're fine if you believe in Jesus. You just need to believe in Jesus and do good works in order to be saved. So it's not Christ alone, it's Christ plus other good works that you do in order to be saved. And so Paul is now writing to them and says, I am astonished you're so quickly abandoning the gospel of the grace of Christ. So he's rebuking them in this letter for listening to a false gospel. And in chapter one, he will say, anyone who comes to you, whether it's me, Paul, or an angel from heaven, preaches to you a gospel other than the gospel of grace, other than the one you receive, that person is damned to hell. 
So he wants them to know this is life and death. Eternal life is on the line here. Whether you're with God, experiencing all blessings and grace and glory, or apart from God, experiencing judgment and wrath. And so this letter is Paul's answer to a gospel that says, you just need to trust in Jesus and do good works. And Paul says, no, there's no other gospel but the gospel of grace. Believe in Jesus and you are saved. And so that's where we're at today. And so I'd like to invite you to stand. We stand at the reading of God's word. We do so as a means of of remembering and recognizing the authority and inspiration of the scripture. And so here we go in chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. This is Paul speaking. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let me pray. Our Father, Father, praise you for this passage. This passage which so clearly articulates how we are saved and how we are not saved. This passage that, that shows us why the gospel is the gospel, why it is good news. And I pray that everyone here knows and believes and loves and trusts in the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ today. May we know that we are saved by faith in Christ and nothing that we do. May our entire confidence be in your son, Jesus Christ, and not in ourselves or anyone else. May we boast in the cross. May we boast in your glory, God, and not in ourselves. God, I pray that we would be drawn today through the preaching of your word by the power of your spirit to the truth of your scripture and that we would see it and that we would love it. God, as we sang earlier, that we taste and may we see your goodness today in your word. God, we praise you for this, this text, this passage that you have given us. God, may we believe in your son, Jesus, today. Amen. You all may be seated. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to jump just right in. And the first point, just want us to see there is nothing we can do that will give us an advantage in being saved. So I want you to know there's nothing you, nothing I, nothing anyone can do that sets us apart, that gives us preferential treatment by God. In verse 15, Paul seems to be saying that there's a distinction between being a Jew and a Gentile. He says, we, Paul, the, the other Jewish believers that he's talking to, we are Jews by birth. We're, we're not those guys over there. We're not Gentile sinners. And so what's Paul getting at saying, 
Jews by birth and Gentile sinners. His point is, is that Jews had the Old Testament law and the Old Testament covenant. They had the privilege, the advantage of knowing God and knowing how he worked throughout history. And so when Paul uses the word Gentile sinners, he's not using it in the typical way that we read the word sinner in the, in the Bible, meaning just have fallen short of the glory of God, but he's referring to those who didn't have the law, those who were lawless, apart from God's people, did not have the Old Testament law. So if I could paraphrase, Paul is saying, we are a people that have known and practiced God's law. We're Jews. We're not like the other nations that did not have God's law. So does this mean then that the Jews are better positioned to be saved? Does this mean that when God looks at humanity, the Jews are, are more deserving than those who are not Jews, than, than Gentiles? Does keeping Old Testament dietary laws, not eating pork, does the purification laws, circumcision, does that earn our salvation? Does that set us apart so when God looks at us, he goes, well, they look good. I'm happy to have them on my team. They make team God look better. Does everyone need to be Jewish if they are to be saved? That's what the Judaizers, in essence, are teaching. But Paul says, no, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, we've had the law. We're Jews. We're not Gentile sinners. We're not those who didn't have the law. But let's be clear. Having the law does not justify us before God. You're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. And so Paul will say, will give the word justified three times in verse 16. It's a, it's a legal word. It's a judicial word. It means to absolve guilt and pronounce righteous. So what Paul wants you and I to know, what he wants the church of Galatia to know, is that there's no form of law keeping. There's no morality that you can do that gives us an advantage to being saved, which means like present day, coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, being a good citizen, obeying traffic laws will not impress God the least bit. He's not happy that you go 35 down Ruddle, which is impossible. <laughs> like it is. Does anyone else set cruise control when they drive on every single street in Lacey? I think that was the biggest adjustment moving here. 35 everywhere. And so like, I'm, I'm at 45. Like my, my truck just goes 45. Like does your vehicle just do that? And then you see a cop and you're like, oh man, I'm, I've sinned again. I am. But going 35, keeping Old Testament laws, showing up to church on time, doesn't set us apart. God does not compare us with one another. He's not going, you drive better than him. You keep more of the laws than they do. So you're more righteous. You might be more moral than someone else in here. But remember, God's, God's righteousness is the standard, not 
Yours and my righteousness. We are compared to the perfect, infinite righteousness of God, which every one of us fall miserably short of, which is why Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. To trust in law-keeping is like a murderer trying to justify his innocence by saying, but I wear my seatbelt. Could you imagine that? He's in a courtroom. The judge says, guilty. He says, well, I make an appeal. I wear my seatbelt. I do good things. Can I, can I be freed? Can I be declared innocent based upon other good acts that I have done? There is no act he can perform that can undo the fact that he is a murderer and there is nothing you and I can do that can change the fact we are sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've not measured up to the righteousness of God. So Paul's point we, you, me, we cannot become righteous through law-keeping. We do not and we cannot contribute to our justification. It's outside of our power. Which brings us still back to the question, so how do we get saved then, Paul? How do we go from sinner to saint, from guilty to righteous? Brings us to our next point. The only way to be justified by, before God is through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way. You, the only way, me, the only way anyone has ever been justified before God is through faith. Verse 16, we still come back to that. It could not be more clear. Paul says, no one's justified by works of the law. At the end of verse 16, he says, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one be, will be justified. So at the beginning of verse 16, at the end of verse 16, not by works. So what's the best part? It's in the middle. Where we read, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. Paul wants us to know it's not by works, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through justification that comes through faith. So what, is, what does justification mean? One of those big words that we know that we're supposed to know in the church to be justified is to be counted or is to be reckoned as righteous. In the New Testament, justify is a judicial verdict. It declares someone to be righteous. In fact, if you just turn one page to the right, Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, which we'll actually be preaching in this passage next week, Paul says that we see Abraham believed God and he was counted, he was reckoned, as righteous, when Abraham believed God, God slams the gavel down in the courtroom and says, righteous, no longer guilty, righteous. Joel Beakey, the theologian, gives this definition. He says, justification is God's gracious forensic, meaning a legal declaration that guilty sinners are forgiven and reckoned as obedient to the law, both on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ, received by faith alone. So there's a negative and a positive element to justification. So I want us to see this. Justification is about the removal of guilt, the declaring that one is righteous. So how do we, how do we receive this just, righteous verdict? What is the 
instrument in which our guilt is removed and we are declared righteous? Faith in Christ. Not works of the law, but faith in Christ. And faith is not an act that we do, but rather it's a means in which we receive the righteousness of God in Christ. So think of it this way. The, the opposite of works of the law, the earning that the Judaizers are saying, you need to do works of the law, so you need to earn your salvation. The opposite of that would be faith in Christ. That we receive the free gift of righteousness in Jesus. So think earning versus receiving. Doing versus receiving who and what Christ is. Faith trusts, rests, and believes all that Christ has done for us. Does that make sense? Works of law, doing and earning. Faith is receiving. William Barclay, theologian, said it like this. Faith is complete trust and absolute surrender to Jesus Christ. It is the total acceptance of all that he said, of all that he offered, and all that he is. Total acceptance. The total belief. That is who Jesus is, and I believe in him. So it might be helpful to give an example here. I think some of the best examples are the ones that we find in Scripture. And so Jesus, he gives us a parable in Luke 18, which we'll look at. And this parable is about Jesus wanting us to know we're not justified by works, but we're justified by faith. And we know that's the point of the parable because Jesus tells it in verse 9, Luke 18. He says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So he says, there are some people who trust that because of what they do, they're righteous. So this is the Judaizer's gospel, the false gospel. And so Jesus is going to say, but that's not true. Let me explain this to you. Starting in verse 10, he says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice that the Pharisee's righteousness is determined by how he measures up with other people. And does that bring about love for others or bitterness and animosity? We see it right here. When a gospel by works does not produce love towards one another, it produces supremacy. We're looking at how are we and are we better than other people? He thinks he's justified by, because of what he's done. So he gives a spiritual resume. I fasted and I've tithed. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done any of these other things. Sadly, this is how many people think today. Roman Catholicism would agree that we are justified by faith. Just so you know, if you go to a Roman Catholic and say, we're not the same, I believe that we're justified by faith. They will say, I agree with that too. The problem is they do not believe that we are justified by faith alone in Christ. They're like the Judaizers. Well, yes, we, 
We are justified by faith and in what we do. So they've added works to the gospel. Same thing that Paul is preaching at against here. But we don't have to simply go to Roman Catholicism. We can go to many evangelical Protestant churches today. And there are many people that if they were to describe how they're saved, that if they were to say, well, this is, this is how I know that I'm saved. I believe in Christ and I go to church and I read the Bible and I give my offerings. I'm involved in missions and I do this and I do that. So I know I'm saved. Do you see how easily it slips in? We're very easily slip into a Jesus plus gospel, which is exactly what Paul is preaching against here. But notice the tax collector. He makes no mention of anything that he does. What does he do? He cries out, I need mercy. What, what, what does faith do? Faith receives. Works of the law, earning, doing, faith receives. So think of it like this. The tax collector with arms wide open cries out, I need grace. I need mercy. I'm a sinner. And so with arms wide open, symbolizing his faith in God, he goes home justified. Hear this. All who have faith in Christ have been declared righteous before God. So this is what this means. You might have walked in here today and you've never heard the gospel before. Your resume might be filled with, with lying and cheating, stealing, swearing. You may have hurt, manipulated, injured, may have even murdered. But when you hear the gospel and your eyes are opened and you say, yes, that's Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God who died for my sins and rose again that I could have life. When you believe in him, you're declared righteous at that moment. Justification is an instantaneous verdict given by God himself. You might come here guilty, but if you believe in Christ, you leave righteous. Do you know that? Like if you've not trusted in Christ, this is the gospel. This is why it's good news. We don't earn it. We don't do it. We, by faith, we believe in it. We believe in all that Christ is, all that he has done for us. And on the basis of that, we are saved. The doctrine of justification is what gives us hope. Remember Paul, he gives his testimony. He was zealous for the Old Testament law. And again, if you go back to like the, um, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 9, we read that he's ravaging the church. He's throwing Christians into jail. He had Stephen stoned. His desire is to destroy the church of Christ. He hates Jesus. He hates Christians. He murders them and imprisons them. But when he hears the gospel and he believes in Christ, justified at that moment. That's the good news of the gospel. But how? How is that possible? Like, are we not just kind of like sweeping sins under the rug at that moment? And it's like, well, we'll just call him good. We'll just change the name. We'll put a new sticker on him and says, okay, now he's good. But what about all the sins? Like, how, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that he is a sinner? And how do we deal with the fact that he's not really righteous? How is he justified? So what happens when we actually have faith in God? We need to realize that we're saved by Jesus' life and 
by his death. So when you believe in Christ, you're placing your faith in, in all that he is, all that he did here on earth, in his death and his resurrection. So, so let me explain. Jesus was born under the law, which we'll read about in, in Galatians 4. He was born of a woman under the law so that he would live a perfect life and he would meet the, the righteous requirement of the law. So he did everything that the law required. So when you believe in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, his righteousness is credited, is counted, is reckoned as if you had lived a righteous life. Make sense? He did what we could not do. He lived a perfect life. So when you believe in him, he credits you his righteousness. But what about our sins? What about, what about our guilt? What about all the things that we have done? Jesus was crucified so that by his death, he would pay the penalty for our sins. So when you believe in Jesus, your sins are credited to Jesus as if he had done them. And so he pays the penalty for our sins at the cross. So there's a, a double imputation or a double counting here. Or he imputes, gives, reckons, counts his righteousness to us. And our sins are imputed, given, credited, reckoned as if he had done them. And so at the cross, our sins are paid for. Because of his perfect life, we are given absolute righteousness in Christ. That's what happens. And you say, well, is that true though? Where do we see that in Scripture? One of the clearest ones is 2 Corinthians 5.21. We have this up on the screen. This is called the great exchange. So just notice, notice what Paul says here. For our sake, God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin. He didn't commit sin. He wasn't crucified because of his sins. So God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So at the cross, Jesus takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. That's what happens when you believe in Christ. Faith in Christ is trusting in the life of Christ and in the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus takes our sins. We receive his righteousness. That's the great exchange. And what happens when that takes place? Many of you know Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is what? Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Your guilt is removed. I want you to think about that. There's nothing you can do that will outweigh your guilt, that will undo the actions you have done that will remove your guilt and shame. And so Christ goes to the cross and pays for the full penalty of your sin, that all of your guilt, all of your sin, everything you have done has been paid in full. His righteousness is credited to you. So when God looks at you, no condemnation, righteous in Christ. Now, some of us will still struggle with assurance of salvation. Some of us will still struggle with, am I saved? Some of us will have doubts. Have you ever had doubts if you're saved? Have you ever wrestled with that? Have you ever heard the small whisper in your voice? Guilty. Guilty. You've done too much. You're not really saved. God couldn't really love you. Look at what you have done. What do we do at that moment? We come right back to the doctrine of justification. 
We say, I have believed in Christ. My sins have been paid for and I've been given his righteousness and on the basis of who Christ is and what he has done, I am justified on anything that I have done. We don't have to argue with Satan. Yes, I am guilty, but praise God, Jesus paid for my sins and gave me his righteousness. So now I am clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So when the Father looks at me, he sees Christ in me. He doesn't see my, my guilty, dirty, filthy rags, but he sees the spotless, righteous, blemish-free righteousness of Christ in me and says, no condemnation. That's the doctrine of justification. That's what we believe in. That's what Paul argues here in Galatians. Now, there's an objection to that. And Paul goes into that in verse 17. He says, but if in our endeavor, so this is what he's anticipating. He's going, all right, so the Judaizers and maybe some Jews are going, huh, how does this take place? So he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? So remember, how did Paul use the word sinner in verse 15? It refers to those who are lawless, right? The, the Gentiles, those who were not Jews who had been given the Old Testament law. So Paul knows his readers are wrestling with what he says. So he basically says, I, I know what you're thinking. If we, who have the law, must become sinners like those without the law in order to be justified by Christ, does that mean Christ is a minister of sin? Like, does Jesus promote sin? In other words, does the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ, promotes sin. Paul wrestled with this same argument in Romans chapter 6. He explains the gospel, and then uh, he asks, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the argument that he wrestles with there. It's the same argument he wrestles with here. If we're saved by grace and not by doing, does Jesus promote sin? Can we just sin all the more? And so Paul responds in Romans and he responds here in Galatians, no. The Judaizers cannot imagine how we can be saved by faith in Christ and not promote sin. And so Paul gives us three reasons here in the text how that's not true. Reason number one, the law was not designed to save. So we need to realize that. Like Romans chapter 3.20 for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What comes through the, what comes through the law? Knowledge of sin. Romans 5.20, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So here is argument. The law is what increases sin. Romans 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't know, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. The law doesn't make us sin. The law reveals how sinful we are. All of a sudden, when the law says, don't covet, don't lie, don't steal, you go, I really want to do those things. You ever tell your kids, you can't eat that, you can't do that? What do they do? They do that. Why? Because they're sinners. It's the same thing that happens to us. God gave the law not to go, well, maybe if they keep it, they'll just be good enough. The law was always given to show how sinful we are. 
I think there are many Christians today that think that God gave Israel the law so they'd be saved by works. Old Testament is about salvation by works. New Testament is salvation by grace. You ever hear that? Some of you might think that. It's not true at all. In fact, next week in Galatians 3, we're going to be looking at, it's always been justification by faith. Never has anyone been declared righteous by their works. Always been by faith. Think of the law like this. It's more like a railroad track. And it guides us in what faith looks like. So what did the Judaizers do? They took the railroad track and they stood it up on its end so it became a ladder. And so well, maybe if we do the law, we'll climb our way up to God and be righteous before him. That's what they have done. That's, that's the problem that has taken place. And so this is why Paul says, if I rebuild the law, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. To rebuild the law or to trust in the law after having faith in Jesus does not mean Christ is a minister of sin. It means we are the transgressor. It means we are the sinner, not Christ. The fault does not lie with Christ, but me. In fact, if you were to go right before the passage we we looked at today in verses 11 through 14, Paul reminds the church of a conversation he had with Paul in front of everyone, Paul or uh, with Peter. Peter had come to the church and he's eating with the Gentiles, but then some Jews come from James. James is the brother of Jesus, the apostle in Jerusalem. And so when these Jews come from Jerusalem, Peter stops eating with the Gentiles. And he only eats with the Jews. And so Peter, or so I get mixed up between Peter and Paul. So Paul, in front of everyone, rebukes Peter for doing this because in essence, what he's doing is causing division within the church and saying, you're not really saved unless you also follow the Old Testament law. Which is why Paul rebukes Peter in front of everyone. By his actions... Peter was denying the truth of the gospel. And so there's, there's a lot of like just application we could bring here, but, but a couple quick things. Like we're talking about doctrine of justification. Some of you might be like, well, that's, that's getting kind of heady. Okay, I need to know there's a great exchange and there's this thing called imputation and, and, and he takes our sin and we're given his righteousness. Do I really need to be able to understand all this and explain it all? yes. Because doctrine is not simply something we just keep in our head, in our hearts, but it's lived out. And so Peter begins to deny the gospel by his actions, leads Barnabas and all the other Jews astray. Now there's division within the church. So when we're talking about doctrine, justification by faith, to deny this, to not understand this will be affected in every area of our life. And when we gather as a church, we'll be looking at one another going, how do they measure up? What are they wearing? Does their kids run in church? Hmm, their kids aren't dressed up. Do their kids do this? Do they do this? What kind of car do they drive? Why did they do this? Why did they say that? Why are they not serving in as many places as I am? And what are we doing? We're looking at everyone else and how do we measure? And no longer are we brothers and sisters in Christ, justified by faith in Christ, united by grace. But we're saying, well, I got to earn my way there. So do I look better than you? And that is my primary goal. 
And that will be seen in every action within the church. And when we come, and when we do potlucks, and when we do prayer meetings, there will be cliques. And everybody will form based upon who's righteous like them. So never think that when we're looking at these doctrines, we're just simply talking about head knowledge. Yes, it is things we need to know. It's things we need to believe. But it gets lived out in every aspect of our life. The reason we're united in Christ, the reason there's no supremacy or or inferiority here is because we're not here based upon our works, but solely on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. So we can be sinners and, and we can be murderers and haters and people have created great injustices, but in Christ, we're saved. We're righteous. We come to Christ on the same ground, grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. So we need to understand that here. And so Paul corrects them. Hey, you think if keeping the law makes you righteous? The law never made you righteous. The law increased your sin. So that's how he answers the first correction. Reason number two, he says the law was, was temporary. Verse 19, Paul says, For through the law I died to the law so I might live to God. The point is, is that the law was meant to bring us to Christ. Galatians 3.21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. If a law had been given that could give life, righteousness would indeed be by the law. If you go down to chapter 3, verse 24, he then says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. No longer are we under the righteous requirement of the law. Why? Because it's been met in Christ. Christ has met it for us. It's been applied to us through faith in Christ. So what does it mean that we live to God? We could spend probably a sermon or a host of sermons on Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But just one thing I want us to see here, justification and union with Christ. Like, like we need to see this. When we believe in Christ, our old sinful self is crucified with Christ. Our old nature that loves to rebel against God and reject his glory is dead. And by faith in Christ, we're a new creation. Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So why does justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, not promote sin? Because we're declared righteous and united with Christ. So now that he lives in us and we live by faith in Christ. So when we are justified in Christ, we are also united with Christ. Does that make sense? And so for Christ to now be in us, we no longer live a life of sin. This doesn't mean we live a perfect life, but it means we are forgiven and we now desire to live a righteous life. If you have trusted in Christ, Christ is in you. The faith that justifies you is the faith that has united you with Christ. Brings us to our last point. To deny that justification is by faith alone in Christ alone is to reject the gospel of grace. 
In Galatians 2.21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Don't miss the logic that's here. If we contribute to our salvation at all, then we are denying God's grace. We're saying we did not need God's grace. And Paul is saying the cross of Jesus makes no sense if we could earn our salvation by our own works. We need to remind ourselves of this truth every day. I think I've shared before, my grandma, she was approaching death. She simply would say, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross. And that's in essence what Paul does here in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. Remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross, remember the cross. You've been justified by faith in Christ who died and rose again for you. If we could earn it, there was no point for the cross. Think about why would he come? And when you're witnessing to an unbeliever and they say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, then have them answer the question, then why would he come and die on a cross? They might say, I believe that salvation could be found another way. That's fine. Then why did Christ come and die on a cross? If there's another way, you have to answer that question. Why is it that the Christian church for 2,000 years has proclaimed a crucified and risen Messiah? If it could have been another way, why did he die? And ask them to wrestle with that. Because according to Paul, we deny the grace of God if, we could, if it could have been achieved in any other way. The truth is, there's no way to be justified but through faith in Christ. So know this. If you have believed in Christ, you are righteous. His righteousness has been clothed upon you. When God looks upon you, he says, no condemnation. You are righteous before God. So know that truth. Remember that truth. And when you wrestle with that, when you wrestle with assurance, come back to the cross and say, remember the cross, Remember the cross, remember the cross. Remember that through Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection that we are justified. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you and we praise you that we are justified by faith in Christ. That's simply by believing in your son, Jesus. That it's receiving all that he is and all that he has done for us. God, may we know that truth. May we love that truth. May we believe and trust in that truth. Lord, I pray for everyone here. God, they would know that they are righteous before you, not because of what they have done, but because of what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for them. I pray that we believe in Jesus, that we placed our faith in Jesus, and we know that we are not justified by works of the law. God, may this doctrine be one that permeates our church, our body, our fellowship, so that when we gather, whether on Sundays or any other time, that it would be within the unity that we have in church and that we would look towards one another with grace and compassion as you have looked upon us. And as you have given grace, may we give grace to one another. May we not come here trying to figure out hierarchies and who's better than one another when we come together united in the body of Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. In your name, Jesus, amen.